TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, you're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And we're very pleased that Dr. Ian Kingsbury joins us. He's the Empire Center's Fellow for Education Policy. He received his PhD from the University of Arkansas, he received his Master of Arts from the Teachers College of Columbia, and he together with University of Arkansas professors J.P. Green and Alpert Cheng, conducted a survey which collected responses from 1,864 Americans, and they found that academics don't like Jews. The more the education, the less they like Jews. They prefer BLM, Black Lives Matter funeral uh, events and protests, to Hasidic funerals. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for part of our show tonight, uh, Dr. Ian Kingsbury. Welcome. Thank you. Good to be with you, Zev. Thank you. So tell us about the survey. It came out from the Empire Group, and uh, it made some waves. So tell us about the, what you found. Sure. So, again, in, in working with Jay Green and Albert Chang at the University of Arkansas uh, and a professional polling agency, we sent out this poll to a survey of 1,800 people and asked them their opinion on a variety of topics. And certain questions were primed with a Jewish example, uh, and then certain questions with a non-Jewish example. And then it asks you about some, some principle and your take on that. So if I can give you an example, I think that might help to illustrate a little bit what we're doing here. So half of the respondents would have received a question that says, some people have raised concerns about whether a person's attachment to another country creates a conflict of interest when advocating in support of certain U.S. foreign policy positions. For example, many citizens of the United States feel a particular attachment to Israel for historical and cultural reasons. Do you think this attachment to another country creates a conflict of interest? And then the other half of the respondents would have received the same question, but rather than use Israel or Jews as an example, the other one would say, for example, many citizens of the United States feel a particular attachment to Mexico for historical and cultural reasons. Do you think this attachment to another country creates a conflict of interest? So again, the, the salient question here is the same in both examples. Do you think this attachment to another country creates a conflict of interest? So in theory, if someone is totally ideologically neutral, they should be answering the question the same way. But what we were what we're observing, what you were alluding to, is that for those with a higher level of education, uh, they tend to their positions appear to be anti-Semitic. So for in this in this anecdote, uh, you know, those with a college education are more likely to report that they feel it's problematic when we're talking about Israel versus Mexico. What were the numbers of Israel versus Mexico? So uh, when we're talking about the general population. Uh, 32% said that it was a problem when we were talking about Israel versus 27% for Mexico. Again, that's the general population. So you see a five-point divide. When we move up to people with more than a bachelor's degree, it's 35% who say that it's objectionable for Israel versus 22% when we're talking about Mexico. So a 13 percentage point difference there based on the example that we're, we're giving them. And if you move up the academic ladder, did you find greater numbers in that particular case for Israel versus Mexico? 
So that was generally the trend that we were seeing with these questions. Bachelor degree holders were actually not too dissimilar from those without a bachelor's degree. Really, the ones who were different were those with advanced degrees who were way more likely to have these these sort of punitive attitudes toward Jews. Dr. Ian Kingsbury with us, and we're looking at anti-Semitism in higher places. And what he and his colleagues have found is the more education one has, the more they don't like Jews. And not only with Israel, Dr. Ian, but also with BLM and Hasidim. So let's look at that aspect of the report. Sure, yeah. So uh, in terms of in terms of that particular question, uh, we're, we're saying many cities recently issued and then relaxed orders forbidding public gatherings to reduce the spread of coronavirus. When those orders were in effect, some groups nevertheless had public gatherings. And then the examples that we're priming them with are, are either those Hasidic funerals or those Black Lives Matter protests. And here we're seeing these gigantic differences by uh, by education level in terms of how people respond. So for the general population, 61% for both groups say that those were a threat to public health and should have been prevented. But again, they're, they're ideologically consistent because it's the same number for both groups. But when we're talking about, uh, again, especially those with advanced degrees, it's 78% who say that these violations posed a threat to public health and should have been prevented for the funerals. And then when we're talking about the BLM protests, it's 42%. And so again, almost, almost twice as likely to, to say that uh, Jewish funerals were, were a problem compared to BLM protests. It's a huge number. So why do you suppose that the more educated one is, is what your survey has found, that one is more anti-Semitic than the less educated, the more pro-Semitic you are. Yeah, you know, our survey doesn't doesn't get into that, so I can only speculate on it. I, I think one of the temptations would be to say, well, perhaps perhaps the college experience actually makes people anti-Semitic. When we think about things like uh, SJP on campuses and the social movements that flourish on college campuses, perhaps that sort of actually uh, engenders anti-Semitic attitudes. And I think that's possible, but it's not, it's not necessarily my first instinct. Uh, we tend to, I think, kind of over-imagine the extent to which education, both K-12 and colleges and universities, create social and political attitudes. They tend to actually reflect them as in those people who went to college probably came in harboring those views in the first place. So I don't, I don't think it's the college experience in and of itself. It's probably more about the type of people who, who like to go to college and, and the attitudes that they have. Because I remember this goes back, it could be 20 years ago, maybe even longer. I'm not sure if it was the American Jewish Committee or the ADL, one of these groups and they found with African Americans is that the, um, I think it was just the converse is that the more educated one was that the less they didn't like Jews and if they didn't have the education, they had more anti-Semitism. And what we're finding mm -hmm. now seems to be the opposite. Now, 
can we say is because they're coming in with an attitude or is college have changed where there's an anti and you mentioned it briefly you have a presence on college campuses of of all these hate groups regarding israel and you have you know the apartheid week where they accuse israel of apartheid racism you're teaching all these more liberal courses where they tend to blame israel doesn't that have an impact, mm-hmm. not only on Israel, but also on anti-Semitism? Because, you know, one of the things that people say, well, anti-Semitism is one thing you can be at. You can love Jews and still hate Israel. But this may be showing something else on the college campuses, where if you're hating Israel on campus, it might filter down to being anti-Semitic, too. Right. I, I think that would be people's first instinct when they read our study. And I, it is possible, but uh, I, I think the more likely explanation is that those people come into college feeling that way in the first place. And and perhaps those feelings get sort of amplified, but uh, again, the research tends to indicate that colleges and universities don't really shape political and social attitudes. They really just reflect them. So, you know, I think that's, that's almost letting the individuals off the hook a little bit too much to say that they were steered in that direction. Now, but what about the college professors themselves? Remember, you're looking at academics. You're looking at students who've gone through the college system, university system, and they have these beliefs. But what about the professors that taught them in the first place? Did they have these viewpoints? So if they did, didn't they give it? Wouldn't it be logical to say they gave it to the students? Yeah. Again, it's impossible for us to disentangle. That's turn that. What's been the, what's been the reaction to the to the survey when it came out? Uh, very mixed. <laughs> so some people have have really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of people for whom this has confirmed something that they've long suspected, and other people I think uh, find this troubling and and they reject it. Some people have raised concerns about the methodology that we've used and have claimed that it's inaccurate, but, um, you know, you can make your own determination based on how I've described it. Were you surprised at the results that came in when you did the survey? Not entirely. We did it precisely because we suspected this might be the case, uh, you know, for, for those of us Jews who have gone through, through liberal arts colleges and universities, uh, we've seen the anti-Semitism on campus. And so I was skeptical of the idea that, you know, college education somehow equals enlightenment when it comes to attitudes towards Jewish people. Now, is there a comparable survey, let's say, attitudes towards other ethnic groups with college education before going to college and after a four-year academic degree? Is there something we can compare it to and say, well, you know, they view blacks or Hispanics or Asians differently after four years of college and contrast it to how they view Jews in Israel? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I think part of the problem is, and one of the things we're trying to expose is that the way that prejudicial attitudes has been measured historically is somewhat problematic. So when it comes to anti-Semitism, the way that the Anti-Defamation League does it, for example, is almost to explicitly ask people whether they're anti-Semitic. They ask questions like, do you believe Jews have too much control over global financial markets? Or do you believe that Jews talk too much about the Holocaust? Well, a lot of reasonable, I shouldn't say reasonable, but 
a lot of people might think that, but you know, they understand that those are sort of socially undesirable responses. And so they'll, they'll intentionally lie as to not make themselves look bad. So a lot of what we think we know about the relationship between college education and enlightened attitudes towards other groups, I, I think does need to be reevaluated. In other words, but, when you ask the you question, know, do you, do you hate blacks? Do you hate Jews? Do you hate Asians? People are going to give different answers when if you're more subtle and say, well, do you feel that, you know, that group that's more loyal to Israel as opposed to more loyal to Mexico and doing it that way is a more subtle way of trying to get to the truth as opposed to just asking them head on? Exactly. Yeah, that, that's right. And, you know, the, the reason that we suspect that historically research has found the opposite of our conclusions. So there's been several studies to indicate that higher levels of education equate to lesser degree of anti-Semitism is because college educated people are more likely to know that they shouldn't profess those things about themselves, or they tend to be in social circles where those kinds of views are seen as abhorrent. So, you know, perhaps college educated people aren't any less anti-Semitic. They're actually just better programmed to, to be deceptive about it. Dr. Ian Kingsbury is our guest. He's with the Empire Group and together University of Arkansas professors J.P. Green and Alfred Cheng. They have conducted a survey about education. Anti-Semitism have found that the more educated one is, the more anti-Semitic one is. Prefer BLM marches to Hasidic funerals. We're going to be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Talk Line Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talk Line network and Talk Line's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Our guest is Dr. Ian Kingsbury, the Empire Center's Fellow for Education Policy. And he, together with his colleagues at the University of Arkansas, Professors J.P. Green and Alpert Cheng, have conducted a study called Education Anti-Semitism, and they found that the more academics one has, the more likely they are to be anti-Semitic. What is the empire? Tell us about the Empire Group. Uh, so Empire Center is a fiscally conservative think tank in Albany, New York, and we're involved in a, a variety of issues. Uh, I happen to be their, their education fellow, but, uh, you know, in a state that uh, is not especially fiscally conservative. I think we're an important voice of, of reason. I guess we need that, right? It seems like... I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, based on what I'm seeing from the latest uh, budget bills, we're, uh, <laughs> we're a much-needed voice. Absolutely. We, we need fiscal conservatives. But again, New York has changed because we've gone from being Democrats and Republicans being pretty much a Democratic town, which... And I love a more competitive spirit. 
I think it's much healthier yeah. for uh, the city, the state, for the country when you have a balance. If you have a one-party rule, I think it's bad, whether it's Republicans all the time, or Democrats all the time. You need that tension. You need that balance. I'm with you 100%. So getting back to, to the survey, so you got different reactions out there. People were upset. Why were people upset? They were upset at the findings? They didn't like the way you conducted the survey? Well, they expressed it as not liking the way that we conducted our survey, but I suspect what they actually didn't like was the findings. Uh, you know, it's it's troubling in a way because for a couple of reasons, right? One, I think we like to... We like to imagine that the threats predominate from from uneducated and so-called ignorant people that high society you know, that we're accepted and and, that, you know, that we have these good relationships or, you know, th like that. That's not the place that anti-Semitism comes from. So I think that acknowledgement is uncomfortable for many of us. I think the other thing is that the idea that education is an antidote to anti-Semitism is sort of comforting in a way. The idea that anti-Semitism is born from ignorance, uh, it means that there's, there's an easy solution for it. So the idea that education, that higher levels of education is actually, actually associated with higher levels of anti-Semitism. That's, that's pretty uncomfortable for some people. Now, when you talk about academics, you're talking about professors, talking about people who've gone through the, the system that four years of college degree. Some of them will become educators. So if they become educators, doesn't that filter down to the lower classes as well, to the lower educated? So it may start where you find more Jew hatred and more anti-Semitism among the academics. But if they're going to be teaching not just college kids, but high school kids, elementary school kids, can it filter mm -hmm. down too? Sure, that that's a concern, and teacher prep programs uh, tend to be very, very woke and uh, very socially progressive in a way that could easily marginalize Jewish people. So, yeah, there's absolutely concern there in terms of the way that it filters down. Now, when you looked at these academics, do they come from any part of the country? Is it is it the the West, is it the East, is it the South? Where, where did you find it? Was it completely the same no matter which part of the country? So the survey is a nationally representative sample. So it's drawn from folks all over the place. But no, we, didn't, we don't know or can't look at um, whether, whether it tends to predominate in certain regions. Because it'd be interesting to know if, uh, if New York was different than Los Angeles, for example, or down South. Um, so that's what I would just curious to know if there was any sampling of, but you haven't gotten that far with that, sir, with the survey. Right. That's right. Are you going to do a follow-up one? Possibly. Uh, you know, this is, as I mentioned, received a lot of, a lot of attention, some positive, some negative, but this is, I think it's an important topic because again, we're, we're reinventing what we imagine to be the relationship between education and anti-Semitism. And we don't profess to have the last word on this, but the methodology that we're using certainly indicates that we've conceived of it all wrong and that this really is worthy of, of much deeper investigation. 
And have you gotten any response from the Anti-Defamation League or the Wiesenthal Center? These are groups that monitor anti-Semitism. Have you heard from them? Because in a way you're challenging their um, results because you're saying that the questions that they're being asked are wrong. Yeah. So I haven't heard from them personally. I don't know if either of my co-authors have, but, uh, you know, I think overall those are organizations that do some, some really great work, but on, on that particular topic, I, I do think they've, they've approached it incorrectly. No, I hear you regarding now some of the questions that you asked where you were, you asked questions regarding would they prefer that shutting down the Black Lives Matter march as opposed to a Hasidic funeral in Brooklyn and you asked questions mm-hmm. regarding, you know, if uh, they f- have more loyalty to Israel or to Mexico. What are some of the other questions that, that you pose to some of the respondents? Sure. So, uh, we also asked about regulating private education. Uh, priming them with the example of Orthodox Jewish schools versus Montessori schools, and then asking, do you believe that the government should establish minimum requirements for what is taught in private schools? That question, interestingly, is the one where uh, responses were kind of consistent across education groups. I don't really know. uh, I don't really have a theory as to why that would be the case. But um, there's then a fourth question, which asks about headgear in the U.S. military. So Sikh men wear the turban, uh, Jewish men, obviously, with yarmulkes. The question being, do you think the U.S. military should be allowed to forbid the wearing of these types of religious items? And for that question, again, we see that theme of uh, much, uh, you know, a much higher likelihood of, of lodging opposition if, if those people have more than a four-year degree. Okay, we're going to go to Roberta in Los and Los. Is it Los Angeles or I know it's in California, Roberta? Which part of uh, California are you calling from? I'm calling from south of Los Angeles in Orange County. Terrific! You have a question for our guest. Yes, I do. Um, you haven't been very specific about the age group of these academics who are anti-Semitic. Do you? Ha- is this based upon recent graduates? of college, uh, or are you including people who graduated in the 50s, 60s, 70s? Could you be more specific about the age group of these people? Good question. Yeah, absolutely. So we're trying to be as nationally representative in our sample as possible. So that means that states should be represented in terms of the proportion of residents that live in those states, but that, and also by age group. So, you know, you, you should have the sample would have as many people who are in their 40s as are in their 50s. And, you know, it, it should look like the country. Because I think what the call is trying to have, Robert is trying to find out, uh, Doctor, is that, you know, is it something that's more prevalent now with the newer age group? Is it something which has been there for the last 20, 30 years and is just continuing? So I think that's an important question to find out if it's something that's recent to our times or if it's been consistent. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really great question for something that we could do in a potential follow-up survey because I think it's it's plausible. You know, if you went to college, let's say in the early '60s, uh, you weren't really receiving the kind of indoctrination that we now associate with with U.S. colleges and universities. So, I, I would not be surprised if uh, 
you know, if this phenomenon that we're observing is is more attenuated and more prevalent among among the younger generations. Roberta, thank you. Any other questions? That was it. Well, I I've been anxious to hear that. I went through college in the late seventies, sixties, early seventies, and the, the movements that were going on then, the anti-war, the civil rights movement, etc. There was the beginning of these kind of anti-Semitic movements on campus, but they were hush-hushed because they were considered to be un-American. So I'd be very interested in seeing your data based upon a differentiation between more recent graduates and those from the past, and how can I get that information from you once you've done this study? Yeah, so... If and when that happens, uh, certainly it'll become publicly available. But uh, you know, I, I, I can't I can't make any assurances about when that would happen. Well, where can get where can one get the current study that you did conduct about higher education and anti-Semitism? How can people access that? So we haven't released it publicly yet. We will be soon, as what's called a working paper. Uh, so you know, in the coming weeks, if you Google. Uh, my name, and then anti-Semitism or something, then it should come up. Also, if you follow me on Twitter at IS, as in Ian Seth, King SB, uh, I'll post it on Twitter. Roberta, thank you for a good question. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Good night. Can I keep on listening? We're also at WABCRadio.com. So obviously lots of questions that have been raised by your survey and i think it's so important that it that better be discussed and it be put in the public sphere but roberta raised an interesting point to dr kingsley kingsbury and that is is that you know maybe some groups that were anti-semitic that they were you know on the margins uh, in the 1970s 1980s today is at the forefront of college campus you have intersectionality where if you support one cause you got to support all the other causes and anti-semitism and anti-israel is part of that intersectionality even jewish students are intimidated on campus so it's a whole different environment and that's why uh, I guess maybe I was harping a little bit about the time frame because we live in times where, as you know, as your conservative think tank, is that things are changing. And the thing, one of the things that's rapidly accelerating that is college campuses where they're a breeding ground to train people to become more progressive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I, I think Roberta raises a really important question. And, you know, I hope if if time allows, it is something that we follow up on. We're looking at anti-Semitism in high places. I'm talking about higher academies of learning, and our guest has been conducting a survey called Education Anti-Semitism, and Dr. Ian Kingsbury is the Empire Center's Fellow for Education Policy, and together with University of Arkansas professors J.P. Green and Alpert Cheng, uh, they've come to the conclusion that anti-Semitism is ripe, and the more educated one is, the more likely they don't like Jews. They prefer Black Lives Matter rallies to Hasidic uh, funerals in Brooklyn, and also the, regarding Israel, they have they had this dual loyalty charge that if you're an American and you support Israel, you're considered you know in a different position than if you're an American supporting Mexico. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Hi, this is David Gabe, and you're listening to The Zev Brenner Show. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
Do you own a long-term care policy and want to figure out your benefits and how to qualify? Our insurance advisor and broker, Mark Schwartz of Schwartz & Associates, LLC, would be happy to speak with you with respect to the policy you currently own so that he could apprise you as to the benefits that you currently are afforded. In addition, we offer free advice on the best assisted living options for your family through assisted living advisors. If you need home care options, we work with the top agencies within the tri-state area that your LTC policy can help pay for. Need help with power of attorney or health care proxy? We can schedule you with a free initial call with a seasoned elder care attorney. Call 888-LTC-POLICY. That's 888-LTC-POLICY for all your senior care needs. We are here to help. Call now for a free consultation. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host... We're back. Our final stretch with Dr. Ian Kingsbury, the Empire Center's Fellow for Education Policy, and together with his colleagues, University of Arkansas professors J.P. Green and Albert Cheng, uh, they put together a study called Education Antisemitism, which they found the more educated you are, the more anti-Semitic you are. I li- like some of your questions. We only have a few moments left, Dr. Kingsbury. I like some of your questions uh, that you opposed. Um, and one of them had to deal, again, had to deal with, I think, wearing a yarmulke in the military. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the, the question is, uh, it asks specifically, the U.S. military has faced litigation about whether it should allow service members to wear religious headgear as part of their uniform. For example... And then it's randomly assigned. So some people got this example. Simha Goldman sued the Air Force when he was ordered not not to wear a yarmulke, which is a Jewish head covering while on duty. Do you think the U.S. military should be allowed to forbid these religious items? And then the other one, for example, Simrat Paul Singh sued the Army when he was ordered not to wear a turban, which is a Sikh head covering while on duty. Do you think the U.S. military should be allowed to forbid the wearing of these religious items? And we saw that the general population was essentially uh, equivalent in terms of how they answered this question, about 50-50. And then for those with more than a four-year degree, 51% said the U.S. military should be allowed to forbid the religious items when the yarmulke was mentioned, whereas when the turban was mentioned, it was only 39% who said that those items should be forbidden. So... I'm saying that the disparity. Now, which questions did you find the biggest disparity? The largest was the one asking about the Black Lives Matter protests versus uh, versus the Haredi funerals. So, would you speculate that you know, yes, there's anti-Semitism, was even a greater bias against Hasidic Americans? Sure, I certainly in New York, I I think we've seen that, especially through the course of the pandemic, and looking at the way that. Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo have, uh, you know, trafficked in in some of the most pernicious uh, anti-Semitic myths about Jews as spreaders of disease. I I think, um, you know, it's not surprising to me that we got the greatest difference on that item. Because that, I think, was the most shocking of all the different things, that they prefer a Black Lives Matters rally as opposed to a Hasidic funeral 
Um, and so they would rather see that the Hasidic funeral be banned, but they would allow the Black Lives Matter rally, which, by the way, as you pointed out, in New York, you had the Black Lives Matter rally. And one of the things that I heard from our, our Hasidic listeners was is that Black Lives Matters rally, they say everything is okay, it's kosher, but if they have a funeral in Brooklyn, which they happen to have gotten the police permit for, and then there was the whole brouhaha, um, that certainly was not kosher. So there was resentment there, and that also feeds where they say, hey, there's us against them, and why should we bother with the regulations if we're being discriminated against? It had a, a diff- that kind of effect. That's right. There's, there's an alarming uh, proclivity towards extending certain liberties towards preferred groups and then uh, taking them away from others. Again, there, there's no right answer to this question do you believe these violations posed a threat to public health and should have been prevented? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily make you an anti-Semitic to believe that those funerals should have been prevented. What does make one anti-Semitic is if you believe that those funerals should have been prevented, but then you also say that it's fine for people to gather en masse for those BLM protests. Because there has to be, a, I think one of the things that I keep on stressing on this broadcast is there has to be a level playing field. And this is what you've tried to accomplish in the survey, as far as I can see, is that if you're going to be consistent, then that's okay. But if you're going to say one group you allow it and one group you don't, they're doing the same exact things. So that's where discrimination sets in. Yeah, that's exactly right. So I'm I'm glad that you did the survey. I think it's so important. I'm glad you share that with our audience, and I do hope you have a follow up on that. What would it take to do a, to do a continuing that survey? Because obviously there are a lot of questions that have been raised, and there's a lot of interest. Yeah, it would take a little time to you know put the put the questions together and partner up with a pollster and and to do this. But uh, given the level of interest we've received, I you know I'm not going to make any assurances, but. But certainly it's a possibility. I think uh, given the importance of this topic, I would imagine that this is a first look and uh, and not the last word on this. Now, you did a sampling. Now, would you do a bigger one? I think you did about 1,800 people for this, this sampling. Do you need a bigger one to get a different kind of uh, result? No, 1,800 people should actually be enough to to observe uh, differences and and indeed it was so uh, the sample was definitely large enough but you know in the future we might uh, you know we might be more systematic about recording certain information like uh, like age or perhaps race to see how factors like that might play into this story. Dr. Ian Kingsbury Empire Center Group. Um, he's the director. He's a fellow for education policy. Thank you for being with us, giving us some insight about academia and anti-Semitism. So thank you for sharing that with our audience tonight. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And we appreciate everybody tuning in. And uh, make sure if you missed any of our past shows, you can find us on all the podcast platforms, including iTunes and Spotify and Google and Stitcher and Podbean. And, of course, you can go to jewishpodcast.org jewishpodcast.org. If you have any questions about any of our programs, you can always contact us at talklinenetwork.com. That's talklinenetwork.com. Uh, we have programming on 24 hours a day online and on other stations as well. That's talklinenetwork.com. And 
We'd love to hear from you. Please become a fan of Talkline with Zev Brenner on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. We're at Talkline Network. The other ones were Talkline with Zev Brenner. So thank you for joining our broadcast tonight. Continue listening. You can go to our website now, talklinenetwork.com. And uh, thank you for joining our show tonight. Thank you for listening. This is the Talkline Network. Thanks for listening. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FM HD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevbrenner at gmail.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network. The voice of the Jewish community.